The Pulse of Providence with Steph Machado on WPRI.com. People are being shot and killed at alarming rates across the country, including here in Providence. While some types of crime are down in the city, shootings and homicides spiked last summer and have not slowed down since. I sat down with Colonel Hugh Clements, the Providence Police Chief, shortly before Thanksgiving to talk in depth about gun violence and other topics. Here is our full conversation. Thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me. I want to ask you first of all about the increase in shootings and homicides here in Providence. Um, there's been, as of this taping, 75 people shot in Providence this year and 22 homicides, which is the highest number of homicides since 2009 in the city. What's going on here? What's causing this? So yes, that this is disturbing what's going on in the city right now. And I speak to colleagues regionally and nationally all the time and criminologists around the country are scratching their heads and grappling with exactly what is taking place. Uh, we were riding the wave and doing some phenomenal things in Providence surrounding in particular gun violence over the last 10, 15, 20 years. In particular, in particular the last uh, 10 years and our numbers were continually driving down and then you go through the year 2019, where we had a very low number. That may have been an anomaly of sorts, but we had cut numbers to a third, never mind in half. We used to have shootings up to 150, 160 per year with somebody being shot. And then the last 10 years or so, we cut them down under 100, all the way down to the 60s, all the way down to 35 in that 2019 year. And then in the middle of 2020, something happened and it was unprecedented what has happened with the pandemic and with uh, all the events particularly around policing absolutely an unprecedented year in 2020 for policing where uh, agencies became unsettled by uh, what was going on and there were conversations about what the future of policing should be in each of those cities including Providence and uh, it was the perfect storm for policing in 2020 that carried into 2021. And with that, we saw an increase in guns, gun violence, and homicides. Right, last year there was a question of, is this just an anomaly? We had, we had little crime in the first part of the year when everyone was in lockdown, and then it really picked up in the summer and the end of the year. But the trend has continued. We're almost at the end of, of 2021 now. Uh, I know this is something that's happening nationwide, but is there something specific happening in Providence? Are there way more guns on the street than you saw mm. prior to 2020, for example? So what we're seeing in Providence, again, is similar, and we ride similar waves, which is always intriguing to me nationally, but it, unfortunately, it has continued into 2021, but we're just starting to see uh, that trend dip downwards. Uh, we did have a shooting yesterday, which brings our number to 75 for the year, which is a higher number than, we, we, we don't want to see one shooting. Right. Where 75 is a higher number than we've seen in the last several years, as you've indicated. But this trend is starting to dip somewhat nationally, we believe. Uh, and to answer your question, we are seeing way more firearms and guns in the community uh, than we've ever seen. We are uh, seizing them with an arrest. And these are not easy arrests 
at record clips. To date, we have 183 guns taken off the street, which I believe is uh, the highest number in my recollection in years, with 164 arrests. In the month of November alone, so from November 1st until last night, last night we had three separate gun arrests, all by patrol. In the month of November, we've made 19 gun arrests. That's staggering. That's a staggering number, and all these firearms are, are real nice weapons, and they're 40 calibers, 9, millimeter, nine millimeters, 357 pythons. Many of them have extended clips. Uh, many of them carry uh, ammo availability up to 15, 16, 17 rounds, and we're seeing that at the shooting scenes where there's uh, not only more deadly force being used in particular shooting incidents, but several rounds are being fired. And, and I think, you know, I, I can't commend the men and women of this department enough because these are not easy arrests. So in one month, 19 arrests, predominantly by patrol, so there's been 16 gun arrests of those 19 by patrol, and uh, everyone participates, but it's the intelligence unit, the violent crime task force, and detectives uh, include the other three, but that's phenomenal police work. A lot of guns out there. And where are they coming from? Are these guns that are being purchased, you know, recently, whether it's a straw purchase, um, you know, if it's someone that's not eligible to buy a gun because they're a felon or what have you? Do you have a sense of where the guns are coming from? We do, and we get that later from our federal partners. Uh, we, we dive deeper into where these guns come from, but traditionally in the past, they come from all over the place. There's, there's not like you might see in other jurisdictions, maybe down south, where there's a trailer truck with a flood of guns coming in, and there's a flea market, and they're buying them there. But in Rhode Island, uh, most of them will be bought locally. Many make the streets in the black market where, let's say, I have firearms in my home and I retire and, you know, somebody in the family ends up with a drug addiction, they end up taking the gun and trying to sell it on the black market and trade it for drugs. So, but predominantly right now, straw purchases are a hot item where somebody with a clean record uh, connected to someone who has a pension for being in the, the violent game uh, and they want to get their hands on a firearm, they'll have somebody with a clean record buy it locally or out of state and stop bringing guns into a certain group or a certain set of individuals because they can't legally buy nor can they possess, but that's how they get them in their hands. So straw purchase is a, is a big avenue for those uh, possessions. Yeah, you had a case, um, I can't remember if it was two years ago, of a guy who claimed to have been robbed Mm -hmm. of like 50 guns and police said that was a bogus story and those were all out on the street and you've still been rounding those up right you've still been finding guns from that one person who had bought them and then they ended up on the street correct so uh, right around that time there were two separate caches of guns that ended up on the streets in Providence that 55 or so that we immediately scratched our head and winced and didn't believe that to be true and so he came forward with the false story. And you're right, we're still seizing some of those firearms that ended up in particular gangs and groups' hands uh, that had been a problem in the city. And we've gotten several of those guns off the street. There was a separate housebreak in a municipality outside of Providence 
convicted uh, of those 12 to 15 guns, some of those ended up on the street as well. So what is what, are, what can PPD do to prevent gun violence? Obviously you respond to the shootings and you try to arrest the suspect, but how much prevention efforts are going on? So you're right, I mean, we, we have and we've embodied for years and it's been a huge part of our recipe for success. Uh, this is a huge responsibility, a public health responsibility for the community. It can't just be the police department. With all of the social ills that we deal with, we know, uh, including gun violence, we know we can't arrest our way out of this alone. It will never be the police department just continually arresting people and putting them before the courts and eventually they'll be incarceration. But what we're finding is oftentimes these young men with a gun arrest will make their way on the street even after a gun possession charge uh, quickly they'll be back on the street and oftentimes we'll see a second gun possession charge and maybe a third. So there has to be a multidisciplinary approach to attacking gun violence. And that has been part of our success over the years, along with our true partners in the community, in particular the Nonviolence Institute. But enforcement is a huge piece. So when we're taking 19 guns off the street from November 1st alone, that is huge. You think about the lives we've saved or the injuries, non-fatal injuries we've saved. Each one of those guns could have shot several people. And we take 19 off the street, we've saved countless injuries, if not lives. Just by those 19 guns alone, never mind the 183. So the multidisciplinary approach has always been with our partners, prevention, intervention, enforcement, rehabilitation, and reentry. Many of these young men who are going to the system they enter their community, they re-enter their community, more times than not, back at the same zip code they left from. So there has to be a real comprehensive approach to dealing with the problem of gun violence. And we've done that here to great success, and we like to say that's why our numbers continually went down from uh, 2011, way before that, right up through 2019. And then in 2020, all of that became unsettled. But I truly think, and, and you know, we have a strategy for success going forward. I think in the Providence Police, we're well positioned. We're starting to see it now. These gun arrests are off the chart, which is a good thing. And I worry about the safety of the men and women, and I worry about the safety of the communities where there's gun violence occurs all the time. And that's what keeps me up at night, but I really think we're ready to turn the corner in that there's a lot of money being dedicated towards those agencies that the Providence Police works very closely with, and I think it has to be that multidiscipline approach in attacking what, what I've referred to with the prevention, intervention, the rehabilitation, and the uh, reentry. But the enforcement piece, we're like hitting record numbers. So, it, you know, we all have to share this responsibility. It has to be a shared response in attacking violence in our city because it, it harms communities. You mentioned there um, the shooting numbers being higher in 2011 and then dropping from there. In 2011, there were 110 people shot in Providence, but there were only 12 homicides that year. Mm -hmm. This year, there's been 75 people shot and 
22 homicides, 20 of which were shootings. Do you have any sense of why the shootings are apparently getting deadlier? Yes, and we've seen that where there's a more calculated approach by the uh, predominantly young men in the community who are prone to put their hands on a gun. And in particular, we've differentiated between those who can, who will put their hands on a gun and those who are shooters. They're referred to as trigger pullers. And you, you look at the city of Providence, we're 180,000 plus in this city and our daytime population is much larger with the infrastructure, with the colleges and universities. We have eight colleges and universities in Providence. We have 64 schools in the city. We have a huge nightlife in this city where people come from all over Southeast and New England. So it's a very vibrant city, but it's a very small number of young, predominantly young men who are prone to commit the vast majority, vast percentage of this violence. So I think it's important for, and we've always done this, we've had a focused deterrence. So I think we're positioned well with our social service partners to continue on focused uh, deterrence. In the, in the uh, direct focus is on people, places, and behavior. And I think that's important when, and we've done this for years, we have great information, we have great intelligence, and you see 19 arrests in one month. So, and if we were able to bottle that with the other social service resources, I think we can make a huge impact on violent crime and gun crime in particular. Um, we made a map of where all the shootings had happened this year. Um, they're pretty spread out mm -hmm. throughout the city. Are you seeing guns and gun violence everywhere in Providence? Yes, I mean, you know, uh, and that's why we, we're a data-driven organization and we strategize uh, every other day around here as to where to direct our monetary and uh, manpower resources. And we have a ton of directed patrols, whether it be uh, a nightclub detail, a Broad Street detail for the nightlife, Atwell's Avenue, but in particular, where we see an uptick in violent crime or gun activity in certain areas, we direct resources towards that area. In particular, lately, uh, Districts uh, 4 and Districts 2 have seen an uptick. Uh, and those are, for folks that don't know, is that uh, South, South Providence in the West End? West End, okay. And, and District 5 is is a busy area, and uh, that's which up is Oneyville, Hartford, Silver Lake, the west side of the oh, city. okay. What's, which district is the one up near Wanskuk, near PC? District 7. Because Wanskuk has had 10 shootings this year, which Districts is 2, high. 4, 5, and 7 have been active in our busy areas, and we've directed resources there. And you'll find that most of the gun seizures are pursuant to my thought just a moment ago about directed patrols in those areas. Directed patrols yield direct results. Random patrols, random results. So you're not, you're not putting an equal number of officers in each of the nine districts. You're, you're basing it on which ones are seeing more crime? For, for regular patrols, we do. We, we kind of spread it out all over the city, but for directed patrols, we direct our uh, manpower and extra resources towards specific problems, whether it's ATVs, whether it's uh, the vibrant college nightlife that causes all sorts of problems, uh, the nightclubs. Uh, we have all sorts of directed patrols towards the nightlife, whether it's on Broad Street, Atwell's Avenue, the East Side, 
So we have our regular complement of workforce, uh, plain clothes, uh, plain clothes units, certainly the uniform patrol bureau with marked cars and uh, young men and women in uniforms, but as well directed patrols towards issues we're having at the moment, whether it's ATVs, and we did a phenomenal job, job of pushing that back uh, mid to late summer. The calls for service were averaging 70 to 80 to 90 a week, and we cut those down e during the good weather in the teens. We were getting about 12 to 15 calls a week for ATV. So we, we took a uh, concerted effort at attacking the ATV issue, and it, it was successful. Guns, we're, again, we're seizing them at, uh, at record high volume clips, and, uh, and we'll continue. But we're looking forward to getting back to the table with all of our partners who look to realize some money from this Recovery Act. You know, it's not only the Nonviolence Institute, but it's really a comprehensive approach with Family Services Rhode Island, with PMH. We have clinicians that ride in police cars, and they have for the last 15 years. We need to expand that, especially surrounding mental health. Uh, we do some phenomenal work in rebuilding communities with LISC. And Jeannie Cola, who's the executive director of, of LISC, we do all sorts of mentorship programs with after-school programs, uh, with PASA. So it, it really is, if you will, a holistic, putanesca approach of just attacking the problem from so many different areas. How many officers are specifically dedicated to gun violence? We, we only have a small violent crime task force uh, with a sergeant and four, we're looking to add to that by a few as soon as this new recruit, recruit class, which we're thankful uh, we just graduated of 49. And once they've completed their field training off officer program, which is a 10-week program, which gets us, I believe, to January 16th. So not until then can we move additional resources uh, into the Violent Crime Task Force. But as well, we have an intelligence unit uh, we have uh, narcotics and organized crime unit and detectives. Those four units uh, develop a lot of information and intelligence that we feed to the Patrol Bureau, and the Patrol Bureau Uniform Division feeds a lot of information back. So the flow of information is important as it pertains to gun violence and guns. So uh, that's, I was going to ask you about the new recruits and what they're doing. So they're in field training now, mm -hmm. and will they all go into the patrol bureau on January 16th? Yes, they're all there now, but they're, uh, they're not counted towards minimum manning. They can't go out alone at this point, so they will uh, continue with their FTO program. Some may be extended uh, for additional training, but if history uh, repeats itself, for the most part, most will graduate with flying colors and be placed in patrol. They'll all go to patrol, and then from there you'll see some movement, some much-needed movement in this department in the form of pushing people towards, and not many, I mean, we're still short. We were down significantly, but we're thankful to the administration for this latest 70th Providence Police Academy uh, to put these 49 into the... Uh, into the ranks. It's been much needed, and we just announced the 71st Academy last Wednesday to add another 50. So how many officers are there now in the department? 449. So we had gone as low as okay. 401, 
Okay. 400. We went to 400. We're at 400 now, 449. And 449, then and now we're looking. You're recruiting, and, and the mayor has said he's going to put it in his going to put another academy in his budget for Correct, year, and that's 50, so. but there's always attrition. So yeah. today yeah. or tomorrow, there may be someone who decides they're retiring. So over the next year, by the time we advertise, recruit, train, if we go plus 50, by the time we're ready to go plus 50, we'll lose probably 20. How, uh, okay. Are you having trouble recruiting for the next class? So the last class, uh, our numbers were not what they were traditionally. Uh, we only announced last week. So we, we haven't uh, realized if we're going to have trouble recruiting. That has been uh, an issue around the country. It never was an issue in the Northeast. Mm. Uh, however, the last couple of classes, we used to have about 2,500 applicants for every academy. The last academy, the 70th, we only had 1,000, which is still a good number, which still gives us ample uh, numbers to, to get the 50 we need uh, if we're having a big school, then uh, I think we're getting quality candidates who really want to be police officers. So whether the applicant pool is 1,000, 1,500, or 2,000, you're truly getting the young men and women that, that really are committed to this profession. And, and I applaud them at a point in time when Look, uh, it's unprecedented what's going on in policing right now, and these young men and women that probably have many opportunities elsewhere in the work sector uh, are choosing this profession, but they're choosing it for the right reasons. It's, uh, it's rewarding. It's a rewarding profession. So you're trying to get um, these academies, and the last, the last three academies have been diverse. You're trying to get more people of color, more women mm -hmm. into the academies. Is having a lower number of applicants, does that hurt that at all? You just have fewer officers to choose from? It hasn't in, in the last, uh, since this command staff has been here, uh, as I've stated, in the uh, 213 we put on in the academies during this administration, 131 have been of minority status. Um, Switching gears a little, you mentioned earlier about um, other social service agencies and how vital they can be to helping with mental health incidents, for example. Um, the city's been talking about this a lot. The PFM report last year detailed how Providence police are responding to a lot of nonviolent calls, like building alarms and, and mental health incidents, um, for example, uh, and not as much, therefore not as much time can be spent um, tackling violence. Well, there's sort of two schools of thought here. One is that you need to hire a lot more police officers because your call volume is so high. And the other one is that, well, we need to divert these calls away from police to social service agencies or other appropriate responders so that police can focus on like, the, the violence and the crime in Providence. Where does this stand, this diversion idea? So we believed in that for a very long time and I think and as mentioned before that you're seeing uh, this police department recalibrate itself in 2021 it's it's been part of our platform and model for the last 15 years we were one of the first in the region to have clinicians actually ride in a patrol car and they've done it for the last uh, 13 to 15 years where they stand roll call they actually ride in a police car and they evaluate uh, those in the community in the midst of a crisis. 
but it's only one or two people from each agency, PMH and Family Services Rhode Island. We've known for a very long time that we need to expand that diversionary approach. So to answer your question, we, we believe it should grow. We should expand our diversion programs. Uh, and it has to be that multidisciplinary approach in attacking the root causes of what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with uh, real issues, the, the real uh, root issues in our American cities. I mean, the men and women of the Providence Police Department are in the midst of it. And year to date, we've seized 1,190 shell casings in this city. That's an incredible number. Shot, and there are many more shots fired that come from a revolver that don't leave a shell casings on mm. the scene. So we have many shots fired, but we've seen seized almost 1,200 shell casings in this city. And I think it's important to note that through our training and probably more so our experience, with the 183 guns we've taken off the street, not easy arrest, we haven't fired one bullet this year. We didn't fire one bullet in 2020. We fired one bullet in 20. Uh, 19 and zero in 2018. So the last four years, one shell casing has come from a Providence Police firearm. That's incredible restraint. That's incredible training. Uh, that, that's a lot of experience is what that is. It's just, you know, there have been this year alone, probably a half dozen incidents, maybe more, where it could have gone bad. We had one last week where we had three yeah. life-saving measures last week. One involved the firearm, but the other two, one was, and you talk about the work we do in saving lives, it's, you know, it's a comprehensive approach in what we do. It, it's A to Z, so mental illness and people in the midst of crisis. A, a young woman uh, at the mall uh, was in, in the midst of a crisis, was absolutely intent on taking her life and the Providence Police responded, both plain clothes and uniform, and they saved her life. Uh, they, they made a move, they were talking to her, and at one point, one of the officers, uh, plain clothes officer Jared Stanzione and uh, uniform Jimmy Crying, they coordinated with each other, and one of them grabbed her quickly and pulled her to safety, saved her life. Uh, a week later, uh, there was a negotiation with a young man who was having all sorts of domestic issues and he was in a, a bad way in the midst of a mental crisis and he was intent on jumping onto Route 10 and he was talked down by Eric Fernandez, a great negotiator. Uh, and the third one was the highlight of the incident with uh, two great officers, Scott Campbell, Ryan Malloy, coming back from a directed patrol on Manton Avenue. They're driving up Atwells Avenue. They see a young man, well known to us, in recent violent activity, uh, and they saw him, took note of him, and they're so good at what they do, they believed, and he wasn't showing the gun at that point, but they believed by his mannerisms that he was in possession of a firearm. And as they pulled the vehicle closer, and the passenger of that police car went to get out, sure enough, he pulled a gun from his waistband and turned, and thank God he fumbled with the firearm, because we believe he had the potential to shoot at a Providence police officer, and they did the right thing with their training, and they uh, took cover for a moment, covered both doors, called in the troops. Uh, we called in the SRU team. A negotiation began, 
And in two hours, the whole event was over. But that was a real important gun that we took off the street because that was, we believe, was going to be used. And that was the guy on Federal Hill? Yes. So, so he had been, I mentioned this earlier, but gunmen ended up back on the street. He had been arrested for shooting someone in the head weeks earlier. Correct. Was out on bail within a day. Um, is that frustrating, I guess? You captured this suspect, accused of shooting someone, um, and then he's back on the street a day later and was in a situation where he might have shot a police officer. Very frustrating. I mean, along with most things that we do, you know, it's hard enough to identify them and or capture them. And so it's difficult when they're immediately placed back on the street, especially when they have a violent nature. But, you know, look, that's, that's the, the system. And uh, we believe in the system. Uh, and here he is apprehended a second time. And, you know, so I, I, I would gather that he'll be in for a little bit now. Uh, right, because now he's, he's a, held as a bail violator right. from the original incident. Um, but we see that even with lower-level crimes. You know, a big issue in our uh, communities, not only in Providence, around the state, there's a huge issue with larcenies, with the catalytic converters. And it's driving our larceny from the motor vehicle numbers to uh, high levels that we're trying to attack. But we've apprehended several young men with task forces with uh, Rhode Island police agencies and Massachusetts police agencies. And it's treated as a minor misdemeanor, which... You know, it's it's a low-level crime, but it's really causing uh, alarm in the communities. They're almost like pit stop operators. They'll go in your driveway and get on your car, and within a matter of a couple of minutes, they'll steal your catalytic converter, and it's going on all over the country. There's huge money. There's profit in, the, uh, in what they're stealing, and it's driving our numbers of larcenies to a, a bad number. What is going on with community policing? We had some calls from elected leaders saying, "We got to start. We got to reinstate community policing." I was not. I was not aware that we ever stopped doing community policing. But I know part of that is having these the district commanders, sort of like the mini police chiefs, mm-hmm. in the districts across the city. I believe I last checked, some of those district commanders are handling two or three districts, mm-hmm. um, so they they're not as focused on the. the you know, just a single district. Uh, is that going to be ramped up at all, or is community policing changing at all? No. So it, does it need to expand? Does it need to be ramped up? Yes, but community sp- policing is expensive. In community policing, you need resources. And but for this latest school graduating, it was becoming more difficult to do with the numbers, uh, low level of numbers we had on the PD. So we went down to 400 with this increase of 49 we can increase. So, so you look at the data over the last several years and you'll see that these numbers that we're seeing, even in violent crime, are not historic. Uh, they, they're not, uh, if you look at those numbers from 10 years ago and 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we don't want to see it go to numbers of 10 and 20 years ago. So they're not historic numbers. But what we really need to address is the perception of crime. And with our added resources of, fo- of plus 49, and I know you wanted me to get to this, that in the form of community policing, footposts are very important. In the, uh, you know, seeing police officers in mocked units, seeing police officers on foot, seeing the specialized units of the Providence Police Department 
uh, in every sector of the city is important. So, you know, you'll see Providence Police, it was this past weekend or all week last week, at community events. That's important in the total playbook of our community-oriented policing platform. This weekend, uh, there were several events with the holiday coming up. Uh, you'll see Providence Police uh, at these events when we're not called by dispatch. They're prearranged events because of our partnerships with the district commanders, with the community leaders, and all the different agencies that we're connected with. We serve on over 50 boards in this city, and when our partners asked, can the Providence Police be at one of our events this Tuesday night or this Sunday afternoon, we're there. And we'll ask them, ask them what they need, and, and we'll provide it. So I think that's important. Already this year, just the other day, in the last two days, we've been part of handing out with some really uh, champions, real champions in this neighborhood, 3,500 turkeys. And we really haven't even started our goodwill uh, for the Thanksgiving season, but you know, a tremendous individual, Ed Medeiros from East Coast Solutions, he handed out 3,500 turkeys the other day. And, and as always, he wanted the Providence Police to be with him and other police agencies. Uh, and we were on Friday morning. And then over the weekend, uh, Ibn Bakari from Lights and Sirens, another 1,000 turkeys, actually 4,500. So, and, and there are several other events like that we'll be doing today through Thanksgiving, and then we'll start the Christmas, Christmas activity with goodwill by uh, really caring, really compassionate young men and women on the Providence Police that really enjoy giving to the community. And we're going to see more officers on foot in 2022 because you have We can more. do that now that, okay. now that we have these increased resources. Um, I just have two more questions for you. Um, the vaccination rate of the Providence Police Department, just the sworn officers, is 76%. Correct. Um, it's lower than the rest of city workers. It's much lower. The fire firefighters have 97% of mm -hmm. their firefighters vaccinated, and uh, Providence as a whole is, is around 90%. Um, why is that? Why are there lower vaccination rates among police officers? Than fire? Then, yeah, and then that, and then compared it, to the community as a whole. I think, uh, look, it's, it's choice. I, I've always felt it's a matter of choice. Uh, on the fire department side, there's a commitment on the EMT with mm -hmm. their medical license. Uh, they're mandated by law to be, uh, it, it, their, their commitment is different. I thought the number may have been higher, but I've always felt it's been a matter of choice. And we're 75% right now. I think little by little, some young men and women are uh, little by little determining in their own families, their own opinion that they need to be vaccinated, but that's their choice. It's not, a, it's not a mandate right now. Right. It's if, if there was a deadline of October 1st to either get vac show proof of vaccination or mm -hmm. be tested weekly. Um, did you strongly encourage all the officers to get vaccinated? Because they are interacting with the community. People want to know that. We, we did, but as well, I put out there off on the side that it, it's a matter of choice, but we, we, we put that uh, strong message out there. I got it as soon as I could, be, but I'm older. So I, <laughs> I, well, wanted, yeah, and the, and I, I wanted to make sure I got it. <laughs> yeah, and the officers had access, you know, back in December. They did, um, early access. Pretty early. Um, I'm not sure what the percentages are around the state, but correct, we're at about 75%. Um, 
Um, those who are not vaccinated, do they have to wear masks? They do, and they have to be tested once per week. Okay. Um, and then my last question is about you, your future. Um, you've been with the department for a very long time. Are you planning to retire at the end of Mayor Lorz's term? I'm not sure. Uh, in all honesty, uh, what the future is, I, I'm not quite sure. But what I will say, I'm very excited that with this latest academy graduating, I'm looking forward to realizing plus 49 in the police department. Now we have the opportunity to maybe go plus 50 with the 70, 70 uh, first police academy. I've gone much of my command staff time here the last nine years with low numbers. And this administration has been good. They put together four very large, very diverse academies. We, we were playing catch up these last six, seven, eight, nine years. So uh, I'm looking, I'm excited about what we can do with this increased workforce. I'm excited with our partners uh, looking to realize some monies, much needed monies uh, that we can do this a multidisciplinary, comprehensive approach in the community, I think we can get back to where we were. I'm the forever optimist. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to retire, but... But are, are you definitely staying till the end of... Um, no, I'm not. Well, term? Right now, I am, but I, I, I just don't know what the future holds. I really don't. Okay. Too, I love what I do. I still love it. If I didn't like it, I would have left yesterday. <laughs> to be determined. Yes. Colonel Clemens, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Steph, thank you. Thanks for your time. On our website right now, you can explore an interactive map that shows exactly where the shootings have happened in Providence so far this year. Thank you for watching Pulse of Providence. If you prefer to listen to our show on the go, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steph Machado. We'll see you next time.